thank you for the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that you have made good on the promise to send Jesus to be our sure and steady anchor in the storms of life. Thank you that he, Jesus, is the yes to every promise you have made to us. So help us to see Jesus this morning in all of his grace and in all of his glory standing in that boat and stilling that storm. Help us to come face to face with the majesty and the power of Jesus as King. And then may you help us by your spirit to apply those great truths about Jesus to the storms we face while following Jesus. We may trust that we may worship even in the storm. Show us Christ, I pray. In his name I ask. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is a pleasure to be able to sing along with you and to worship together. I invite you to open your copies of the scriptures, please, to Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. And I do encourage you each and every week to find your place in God's word so that you know what I'm saying is not what I say, but it's what God has revealed to us in his word. For those of you who are new here this morning, we're so glad to have you. Thank you for being with us. But we want you to know that we find ourselves this morning in the midst of a study in Mark's gospel. So Mark chapter four this morning, as we continue our study, we're walking through the gospel of Mark verse by verse, story by story, scene by scene. And um, we've entitled this series, Life on Purpose. And that really applies to the life that Jesus comes to live for us, the life Jesus comes to live with us here on earth. And then when we trust in him and he becomes our Lord and Savior and King, that life on purpose becomes our life that he calls us to live in following him. And that really applies to the storms we face in life. We can live life on purpose, even in the hardships and trials and difficulties and the storms we face. Jesus is our anchor, and that's the whole purpose of this text this morning. Let me read it for you in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, and we'll read through verse 41 of Mark chapter 4. On that day, on that day when Jesus had been teaching, when evening had come, he said to them, that is to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. He was teaching from the boat. And other boats were with him. And a great, or a mega is the Greek word here, a mega windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing here? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a mega calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And they were filled with mega fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Who's Jesus? This is the Word of our God for us and to us this morning. So let me ask, what are you afraid of? I'm not talking about fears that show up in your bad dreams or your nightmares like the nightmares I used to have growing up of being chased by an angry grizzly bear. I'm not talking about your fear of waking up in an Indiana Jones movie in a pit filled with snakes or in a Jaws movie being chased by a shark. Listen, I want you to know that fear can be a good thing, right? If your two-year-old falls down the stairs, fear is what moves you to take action because fear is a response to a perceived danger or threat. So this morning, I'm asking about something much deeper. I'm asking about deep down fears. Fears, fears that don't just demoralize, they paralyze Maybe you fear shame or humiliation, and so that keeps you from getting close to people, and it keeps you from letting people into your life. Maybe you fear loss. Maybe it's the loss of a child or the loss of a spouse or the loss of income or with skyrocketing inflation, the loss of what your money can buy. Or perhaps you fear death, which is why your birthday isn't any longer a celebration of God's faithfulness to you. It's a reminder, an annual reminder, that your expiration date is drawing closer. You fear a stroke or Alzheimer's or cancer. But the big question behind fear is why. Why do we fear? What's the underlying cause of fear? We fear because we lack security. And we fear when we feel out of control over the situation we find ourselves in. We don't feel safe in that situation. And in that moment or those series of moments, the fear we feel overwhelms the truth we know. The truth of God's love for us. His power over us. His promises to us. Ultimately, we fear because we are looking for security in all the wrong places and in all the wrong things. And so maybe the better question to ask this morning is, where are you looking for that security? The security that will alleviate our fears. Because the big idea of this text this morning in Mark 4 verses 35 through 41 is this. Fear overcoming security is found only in Jesus. Now, I know it doesn't sound profound, that big idea, but it is infinitely profound that our fear overcoming security is found only in Jesus when we apply the truth of who Jesus is to the real life storms we face. And that's precisely what's happening in Mark chapter 4. 
Here in verse 35, Mark is pivoting. I want you to notice here, that, and if the words of Jesus are in red in your Bibles, you're going to see this, because now we move into a section where there's a whole lot of black letters and not so many red letters anymore. So this, this, this section of Scripture, Mark is pivoting from a teaching section to an action section. A teaching sequence to an action sequence. But notice, I want you to notice here that this isn't a random pivot that Mark is making. This action sequence now is connected directly to what Jesus has just been teaching. Jesus has just told four stories. Four parables. Parables about soils and seeds and lamps. And in those parables, remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples that things aren't always as they appear. That, that so much is happening, so much more is happening than what we can see. Because they're thinking, whoa, this kingdom stuff that Jesus is talking about and bringing God's kingdom to earth in the person of himself, it doesn't look real captivating. It doesn't look real big. It doesn't look real powerful. Because at the end of the day, when Jesus is done teaching, all the crowds leave Jesus and go back home. But Jesus is saying to these men in these parables, hold on, wait for it. I can see what you can't see. One day God's kingdom is going to be big and powerful and captivating. So wait for it. It's coming in all of its glory. And it's coming because I am the king. And so if we're really going to get the point and feel the power of Jesus stilling the storm in this text, we can't rip this scene out of its context. The disciples are confused. They're maybe even a bit disillusioned. Man, you know, this whole Messiah thing really isn't all that we thought it would be. I mean, we get little flashes of glory when Jesus heals and casts out demons, but, but there isn't very much big kingdom stuff. There's no crown, no palace, no Jewish army overthrowing Rome and freeing us from Roman tyranny. You know, it's kind of like the White Sox this season. Huge expectations, but only fleeting flashes of glory. And so Jesus gets this. He knows what's going on in the disciples' hearts and minds. And he's going to give them now and us back to back to back to back proofs of his universal God power. Here in Mark 4, beginning in verse 35, and all the way through chapter 5, Jesus is going to put his power on display. His power over nature, his power over demons, his power over disease, his power even over death itself. And he is going to do that to prove to his disciples and to us that as the Son of God, he is capable of dispelling our doubts and allaying our fears. Because he is the king that God had promised. And for Jesus, it all begins at the end of a very long day. How many of you have ever had a very long day? Raise your hand. You, that is so much better a response than I normally get on Sunday mornings. So I'm so glad that, that we can identify with Jesus here. And I'm... Glad that Jesus can identify with us. He knows what it's like 
to come to the end of a very long day in which he has been teaching all day long. Remember, the crowds have been so large that Jesus has been forced into a boat to teach the people from the boat while they sit and listen from the shoreline. And when the sun sets and the crowds begin packing up their blankets and rounding up their kids and heading for home, Jesus says to his disciples, listen, let's go across to the other side. Now, we can fly right by that little phrase as, as, as if it were some insignificant piece of information. Because at first glance, it may appear that it's just Jesus giving some practical instruction to his disciples. Hey guys, let's pack it in and let's move it out. It's time to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, that's what we as parents do, right? When we're rounding up the kids. Let's go, everybody, into the minivan. We're leaving now. And all the kids are like, what? Where are we going? And that's what we need to notice about Jesus' words here. You know, these aren't just words of instruction or direction. It's time to go, so hop into the boat. These are words of destination. We're going to the other side. I want you to notice something here, and that is that Jesus says we're going to the other side, but Jesus doesn't say it's going to be an easy trip. Jesus doesn't promise smooth sailing on the way to the other side, but he does give his word that they are going to the other side. And notice that he gives his word before they lift anchor. Before they set out, before they are ever blindsided by the storm, before Jesus says, I want you to know, we will reach the other side. So these are words of direction and destination and preparation. The same is true for us. What we hold in our hands this morning in this book One of the reasons God gave us his word is to prepare us for the storms that are inevitably coming. It's James 1 verse 2. Look at this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We could put storms in place of trials there. And notice here, count it all joy, my brothers, not if you meet storms of various kinds, but when. We don't know when the storms will come. We don't know how the storms will come. We don't know how long the storms will last when they come. But we do know God has prepared us. Listen, the storms will come. God says so. He is preparing us for the storms that will inevitably come even when we are following Jesus. Even when we're obeying Jesus. Did you notice that here? Did you notice that these disciples encounter the storm on the Sea of Galilee because they are obeying Jesus? Not because they are disobeying Jesus. God says, I want you to know that there are going to be times that you're going to face storms because you're obeying me. Just like the disciples here. You're following me. 
And that's why the disciples are with Jesus when they encounter the storm. And here's the big point. Listen, it's in the storm that we learn to apply what we know about Jesus to our everyday life of following Jesus. The storm is where we experience his presence and his power that he really is with us and that he really is for us and that he's clearing the way even through the storm for us to reach the other side. Listen, it's, it's through the storm. It's through the trials. It's through the difficulties that we arrive safely on heaven's shores. And so... When it feels like the storm is working against us. God is using that storm for us. Propelling us forward to the promised destination. And that's why the very first verse of Mark chapter 5. Which I didn't read. Says this. And they came to the other side. Because Jesus said they would. Jesus keeps his word to us. Even when on this night he is physically and mentally and emotionally drained. I love that Jesus can identify with us at the end of a very long day. Because when Jesus and the disciples set out for the other side of that lake. Notice what Jesus does. He climbs into the boat. Actually, he's already in the boat, but he climbs to the back of the boat and he puts his head on a pillow and he goes to sleep. I love this text. You see both the humanity of Jesus, the very full humanity of Jesus, and the deity of Jesus. He needs to go to sleep. But the only way he can sleep through the storm is if he is God. Wow. Jesus falls asleep. And by the way, this sleep that Jesus experiences is not like the sleep that some of us experience every Sunday morning about 11 a.m. You know, some of us, we... We kind of nod off, we're in and out, our heads are bobbing up and down, everybody behind you thinks you really are agreeing so much with everything the preacher is saying. No, I want you to notice here that Jesus is out cold, on a pillow, in the back of the boat. He is sleeping so soundly that when the storm blows up, he doesn't wake up, but the disciples are awake. And they're concerned. They're very concerned. Even though several of them have grown up as fishermen on this very lake. And they're concerned because this isn't some mini squall. This is the perfect storm. The one they'd always heard about. The one their moms had warned about. This is the big storm. Verse 37. The mega storm. And then you add in the fact that it's dark and that adds to the fear factor. You can't see anything, but you can feel and hear everything. The wind, the sheets of rain, the waves beating against the side of the boat and then filling the boat. And ultimately, your life 
is in real danger. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the joy of being on a boat in a lake in the middle of a storm. I have been there twice. Once as a five or six-year-old boy and once about seven years ago. Now, many of you, after I'm done preaching on a Sunday, will meet me out at the north entrance in the lobby following the service, and you'll say, Pastor Ken, you never, you never finished the story you were telling. You never give us, like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. You leave us hanging. So I just want to alleviate any potential of that happening this morning. I have endured and encountered two bad storms while on a lake, and I want you to know I survived both of them. (laughs) That's the end of the story. But you know, in the moment, I didn't know if I would. It is the most helpless feeling ever. You are totally at the mercy of the wind and the waves, and that's right where these disciples are. It's terrifying. And meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping through all of it, through the wind, the rain, the waves, the fear. I can just imagine the conversation between the disciples. Do we wake Jesus up or not? Well, obviously we do, because if we don't, he's going to die with us. And so they awaken Jesus. Now, we don't know how they awaken Jesus. We don't know if they shake him or if they shout at him. We just know that when they awaken him, they say to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? In other words, Jesus, we're dying here. I want you to notice that this is in the present continuous tense. The disciples aren't saying, Jesus, if you don't do something, we might die, or we could die, or even if you don't do something, we're going to die. No, Jesus, we are in right now and right here, the very process of dying. Do something. Don't you care? about us. That is one of the most outrageous questions ever asked in the history of the universe. Don't you care? But don't we all sometimes ask the same question in our minds and our hearts? Jesus, this storm is too much. It's overwhelming. I can't do this. I can't make it. I can't hold on. And while I'm dying here, it looks like you're sleeping here. Like you don't even care. Listen, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that if we were in that boat looking at Jesus sleeping on that pillow, that we would have been any different. That we could have faced any storm. That we would have been cool and calm and collected. No, we would have been right there with these guys questioning and doubting and fearing. Please, please listen carefully. When we encounter a storm, 
of all the great theological truths about Jesus, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his presence. When we're in the storm, it's his care that we will be tempted to question. You know why? Because care is an intensely personal thing. Care is what causes a mom or a dad to run into their burning home to rescue their child. Care is why a dad uses his own body to shield his two-year-old son from a sniper's bullet in Highland Park on the 4th of July. Care is deeply personal. So let's hear the deeply personal words of a man who was there on this night, in this boat, with this Jesus, shouting at Jesus through the darkness, Teacher, don't you care that we're dying here? Because the Apostle John himself writes this in John 13, verse 1, as he recalls the night on which Jesus was betrayed. Listen to this. Here's what John writes. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end. Not just to the end chronologically, but to the end quantitatively. He loves them all the way to the top. He loves them all the way to the max. He couldn't love them any more. And he wouldn't love them any less. And how did Jesus prove his to the max kind of love? Not in dying with them by going down with the ship, but in dying for them by going up. On the cross. So when the storm hits and you begin to wonder, does Jesus really love and care about me in this storm? I ask you to take it from one who was there that night. Yes, Jesus cares. He loves you with a to the max, to the end kind of love. And that is why he is with these men in this storm. And that is why he's giving them a front row seat to the power of his loving care for them when he rises to his feet while the boat is swaying and the winds are howling and Jesus says, peace, be still. Winds, shut up. Waves, Lie down. Actually, the Greek word here is be muzzled now. And immediately, immediately, a mega calm displaces the mega storm. It's the kind of calm that you can see and hear and feel. The wind stills. The rain stops. Every wave instantaneously flattens out. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. 
All of us know about reverberations on water, right? Waves. How that even after the storm has passed, the waves will still roll. Not on this night. On this night, when Jesus stops the wind, immediately the waves stop as well. You know why? Because Mother Nature doesn't control the storm. Jesus does. It's Hebrews 1 verse 3 that Jesus, even right now as we're sitting in this place this morning, and every storm we face, Listen, get this from Hebrews 1 verse 3. Jesus upholds the universe and everything in it by the word of his power. You know what that means? It means this storm on this night for these men, it is intentional. It's no accident. It's purposeful. It is a teachable moment for these guys. Now, Now, I know it's the middle of the summer. I know we've just come off the 4th of July week. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know you're worn out. Some of you have been on vacation. You've you've come back home. Um, And so this is where I'm going to ask you to really stay glued in, to really pay attention, because this is where we catch the connection between the parables Jesus has just told and what happens in the boat. It goes like this. Remember the parables had something to do with nature. That's why we have seeds and soils and plants and trees. And now Jesus is standing in this boat showing these men in their front row seat that he has power over nature. If Jesus can instantaneously shut down a deadly storm, then he can indeed make that itty-bitty mustard seed of God's kingdom grow so large that eventually and ultimately it will dwarf all other kingdoms. Jesus possesses the power to do that. It's just that these guys can't see that right now. Just like they couldn't see the storm coming, it wasn't on their radar, but it was on Jesus' radar. And if these men are going to be instrumental in advancing God's kingdom through the world, and they will be, they have to know that Jesus possesses the power to pull off what he has promised, and he does. That's the why behind this storm, is to teach them and us who Jesus is. It's to prove that there is no storm that can stand in the way of Jesus making good on every one of his promises. Because he possesses all authority over every wind, every wave, every raindrop, and every square inch of soil. And that's just as true in our lives today as it was in their lives back then. Do you believe that? Because every storm then, every storm we encounter, 
serves his good purposes and fulfills his good promises. Even the storms he doesn't calm. Because sometimes the divorce is finalized. Sometimes the infertility is permanent. Sometimes the cancer doesn't relent. See, Jesus doesn't always calm the storm for us. Sometimes he calms the storm in us. And that's what David writes about in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, when he says, I'm afraid. King David, I says, I'm afraid. But when I am afraid, I put, I intentionally place my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I then shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What can the storm do to me? Sometimes Jesus doesn't still the storm for us. Sometimes he stills the storm in us. And that's why after stilling the storm, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks two penetrating questions. First, why are you so afraid? Second, have you still no faith? I'm not asking if you believe in me. I'm asking if you really trust me. I'm asking if you will apply the truth of who I am to every situation you face. So will you view the storms of your life through the lens of my wisdom and power and grace? You see, these men, these men had seen Jesus' wisdom and power and grace in real life. They had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had seen Jesus give seeing eyes to the blind and hearing ears to the deaf and walking feet to the lame. They had heard Jesus' authority in Jesus' teaching. You know, if we would have asked these men, before the storm hit, if we would have asked them, do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe he is omnipotent? And do you believe he cares for you? What do you think their response would have been? Yes, of course we believe That's why we're in this boat with Jesus. But listen, so often there is a difference between what we profess to believe while we're in the calm and what we actually believe when we're in the storm. And that's why when Jesus stills the storm, something happens in these men's hearts. And they turn to one another and they say, Who then is this. We thought we knew Jesus. We thought we had seen Jesus. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? This is the storm after the calm. It isn't that these men no longer fear. It's that their fear of the storm has been displaced by another fear, a mega fear, a fear of Jesus. They are overcome with awe. They are shaken to their core. You know why? 
Jesus has just done what only God can do. Only God can pile up the waters of the Red Sea, enabling his people to walk through on dry ground, escaping Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. Only God can bring a storm to corral runaway Jonah. Only God can do that. And so, as John MacArthur has said, the only thing scarier than having a storm outside your boat is having God inside your boat. Especially when these Jewish young men would have known what was already written in Psalm 107, verses 25 through 30. Listen to this. For he, that is God, commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. This is their story written hundreds of years before this night. And in that story, it's God who calms the storm. And in their story, it's Jesus, the Son of God, who calms the storm. And they have just come face to face with the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. On this night, in this boat, because of this storm, the identity of Jesus becomes deeply real and personal to these men. And so I need to ask you, has the identity of Jesus become deeply real and personal to you? Do you belong to him? Are you in the boat with him? Is he in the boat with you? Do you belong to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone? You see, Jesus is the only place to find true and real security because only Jesus can provide eternal security. And do you know what it took for Jesus to provide that? It took Jesus stepping into the greatest storm any human being could ever know. The storm of God's wrath against our sin. And just like on this night in this boat, one day on the cross, Jesus will step into the storm. This time, the storm of God's wrath. And Jesus will die in the place of sinners like you and me. And for all who will turn from their sins and embrace Jesus Christ by faith alone, Jesus absorbs that storm in full, the full and furious wrath of God the Father. And He calms that storm for us by dying in our place, freeing us from that storm forever.
And that's why Romans 5 verses 8 and 9 say this. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, we've now been declared righteous by God because of Jesus and in Jesus and through the blood of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the storm of God's wrath because Jesus took it for us. That's who he is. That's why he came. That's what he has done. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Savior? Your King? Your Lord? Would you enter this morning into the safe haven, the eternal safe haven of Jesus? You say, how do I do that? Do I need to be baptized? Do I need to give money to the church? Do I need to be good? Do I need to be better? No, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. None of those things can save us, but here's what can, and here's what will. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I plead with you, friend, come to Jesus today. And when you do, what's true of every Christian in this room will be true for you. Jesus is your security. He is your safety. He is your refuge and your strength. And that's why the big takeaway from this scene this morning is simply this. Worship Jesus. Be wowed by Jesus. Be overwhelmed by his grace and his glory. Be overcome. Are you still wowable? Can you still be blown away by Jesus? Worship him. Be overwhelmed by his grace and his glory. And then like these disciples, apply that grace and glory to your situation, to your storms. See Jesus this morning wielding his God power to preserve his people all the way to the other side. So even when the winds are howling and the waves are rolling and the rain is falling, stay focused on Jesus. The God of all power and all grace is for you and all the way through the storm, he is in the boat with you, securing you, calming you, stilling you with the promise of Isaiah 26 verse 3. I will keep you, he says, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because you are trusting in me. Peace in the midst of the storm. This is your king. Trust him. Worship him. Amen. Father, you may you take this scene of Jesus and his disciples in a boat, in a storm. And may you apply it through your Spirit to our hearts. 
May you draw those who have yet to come to saving faith in Jesus to yourself right now, right here this morning. So I ask you, friend, would you come to Jesus? Would you enter into this boat to follow Him? Bowing before Him. Claiming Him as your Lord and Savior and King. You can do that right here, right now. Come to Jesus. And He will save you forever. Christian, how are you doing at applying the truth you know to where you live? Would you ask God this morning to give you fresh eyes to see Jesus? To apply His identity to the very storms you face. Worship Him. Trust Him. Follow Him. In Jesus' name, Amen.